Today's scripture comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you, as I remember you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with your eyes and hearts enlightened, you may perceive what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Anna, for reading our scripture text for today and to all of our graduates for leading us in worship on this particular day, but truly over the many months and years in our community. You have gifted us with music and singing. You have listened to our children's stories and told them God's stories in godly play and Sunday school and vacation Bible school. You have helped us to hear and see one another better through your leadership in the tech booth, through just being a part of our community, through your heart for justice and advocacy. We are so, so grateful for each and every one of you. And today, we want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate with your parents and your families, and we want to bless you as you take this next exciting step on your journey. As you do that, as we do that, I pray that our text for today, this letter to the Ephesians, this young group of followers who are living in a tumultuous time and place, that you might hear in it, that we might hear in it, a good and hopeful word. So, church, let us pray together as we come to our scripture text today. Gracious God, Open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us, your church, today. Amen. Well, friends, last weekend, many of our youth were in many of your homes as part of their Tascatine fundraiser. They pulled weeds, they washed windows, they cleaned out your garages, they babysat your kids, all in attempts to raise money to help them with their upcoming service learning trip to Mexico in just a few weeks. Now, youth, you spent a lot of time together Um, last Saturday, but also in the many gatherings and trainings that you've had these last several months in preparation for your trip. And I am going to guess that you all have come to know each other better through that. I'm going to guess that some of you didn't know until you spent more time with him that Dave Carranza needs an afternoon coffee to make it through the day. 
I'm gonna guess that some of you didn't know until you worked alongside her that B. Brunjar has crazy strong cellist hands that are perfect for pulling weeds. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that some of you didn't know until you babysat alongside him that Liam is secretly a baby whisperer. These are the things that we come to know about one another as we do life together, as we spend time together. And one of the things that marks any good relationship, whether between friends, parents and children, spouses, anyone, is that people in it are always curious about getting to know the other better. They want to know what makes you tick, what do you love, what do you hate, what makes you feel excited, what makes you feel loved. They're always curious about getting to know the other better. And in this section of the Ephesians in our text today, the writer, maybe Paul, but probably one of his students, prays that the people who read this letter would come to know God better. He's heard that they know Jesus, that they are sharing love with one another, that they are loving each other well, and he is so, so thankful. The Greek says he is giving thanks and giving thanks and giving thanks for them, even as we are giving thanks for you today. But he prays that he wants them to know God better. So he prays that they will receive from God a spirit of wisdom and revelation as they come to know their God more fully. And if you joined us last week as we kicked off our sermon series in the letter to the Ephesians, you'll remember that this letter is written primarily to two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles all in one church in the Roman city of Ephesus, but probably to other churches in the region too. Now we know that the Jews hearing this letter knew God. They had all the stories in the Hebrew Bible. They knew Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew Joseph and Moses. They knew Deborah and Ruth and Esther. They knew how God had revealed God's self over time through the scriptures. But this idea that the Messiah, the Christ, became incarnate, died, and rose again, well, to someone who has been reared in the Jewish faith, who believed that the Messiah was going to usher in an earthly kingdom, was going to conquer their earthly enemies, was going to finally throw off their enemy Rome, the idea that the Messiah came to die and rise again and was also God, well, they needed to know God better. And for the Gentiles in this community who heard this letter, well, they had grown up in a culture which had lots of gods and goddesses. And these gods and goddesses fought and made up and messed with the lives of humans just for fun. So the idea that there was one God, one all-powerful God, and a God that actually knew them, that loved them, that cared for them, well, that was news to these Gentiles. They also needed to know God better. And for us, for those of us who think that God is a cosmic Santa Claus of sorts, who's constantly telling the naughty things and the nice things we do, and will give us what we want as long as we're nice, and what we deserve if we're not nice, well, we really need to know God better too. And for those of us who think that God has a big clipboard and is just 
planning challenges to test our faith, or God created the world and put it into motion is now sitting back watching it spin, well, we need to know God better. And if we think that God's just our hype man who fires us up and gets us pumped and makes us feel good about ourselves, but who never challenges us or holds us accountable, if we think that, well, we need to know God better too. So the writer offers this amazing prayer of intercession at the beginning of the epistle. And he prays that the eyes of their heart would be opened, would be enlightened, that they can come to see three things in particular about God. The hope to which he has called us, the inheritance to which we claim, and the amazing power which we command. Hope, inheritance, power. Now, hope is something that we all have in varying degrees, but we root it in very different things. And Paul wants to make sure that we have our hope rooted in the right thing, that the hope we have isn't what we've done or will do, it's what God and God alone has done. And wow, has God done a lot. As we heard last week with Pastor Zach, God has been busy in chapter one, we read that while we were nuns with no hope, no belonging, God chose us, God called us before the foundations of the world into God's family through Jesus. This is our inheritance. We've been adopted, been given a privileged position as God's beloved children through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I want you to get your hope right. I want you to know your inheritance as God's beloved child. But what he really focuses on in this section is the power of God. If you look at verse 19, if you have a pew Bible in front of you or your phone, I know we have that on us, youth. You can pull it out. It's okay, we won't judge. It says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. And the writer goes on to say, God put this power to work in Christ and he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And what the author is doing here is helping the Ephesians unpack what happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because imagine for a minute that you grew up a Gentile in Ephesus. Ephesus was a center of worship of the Roman gods, and Ephesus had a favorite god, Artemis. There was a huge temple to her in the very middle of the city. Now, Artemis was a huntress. She had a bow and arrow with her all the time. You see her on friezes and on pottery. She was often pictured with a deer, but don't confuse her with like the Julie Andrews sound of music kind of figure. This was like a Katniss Everdeen. She was fierce, she was tough, she was constantly taking vengeance. In myth after myth, things do not go well for those who mess with Artemis. She is not a god you mess with. So imagine you grew up in Ephesus. This is your god, Artemis. You would come to the temple to pour out your heart and to ask for what you needed, and the priest would say, listen, you know what? 
Artemis, she hears you, but to deliver on your request, she's gonna need some of your produce or some of that, your money. That's what's really going to expedite her work on your behalf. And maybe you're skeptical, but you really don't want to tick Artemis off, and so you go along with it. You live in fear. Or imagine you grew up in Ephesus as a Jew. The city of Ephesus was the very heart of the Roman Empire, uniting the eastern and western halves of this vast empire. You are constantly living in the shadow of empire. And for years, centuries, generations, you've been an oppressed people, always worried that your nation was going to dwindle away and die out. You live in fear. So the Ephesians, Gentiles and Jews alike, lived in fear. If you didn't honor Artemis, if you didn't listen to the priest, if you didn't play the part of a good Roman citizen, you were in big trouble. You lived in fear. So the author is saying, listen, church, this is the power of God. Jesus was dead. And God not only resurrected him, but exalted him above every ruler and authority, dominion and power, above every name, above Artemis and above Caesar, above oppression and persecution, above fear and even death itself. Far above all those things, church, that you have been taught to be afraid of. The writer says to the Ephesians, here's what happened. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of God has been energized. So all the names that you've been taught to fear, all the things that threaten to sap your life, they are nothing anymore. Because of the power of the resurrection, you don't have to be afraid anymore. To the Gentiles, you don't have to be afraid of those gods and goddesses, of the manipulative priests, of the demonic powers. You don't have to be afraid anymore. And to the Jews, you don't have to be afraid of the emperor. You don't have to be afraid that your little nation will be snuffed out or swallowed up. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Because of the power of the resurrection, you don't need to be afraid anymore. You don't need to be afraid anymore. You don't need to be afraid anymore. I'm gonna guess that some of you, like me, are really afraid of really knowing God, of really letting God know you. You're afraid that you're graduating and going to have to start a new identity and a new belonging in a new place, in a new community. You're afraid that you've always had your next steps laid out in front of you, and now you're not sure what comes next. You're afraid that the things you want to leave behind will follow you forward. You're afraid of disappointing your parents, your professors, your boss, yourself. You're afraid about a warming planet in a nation so filled with guns. You're afraid as you watch others match up that you will never find anyone. You're afraid that your child will leave the house, leave the church, leave the path you've devised together and never come back. You're afraid about how you're going to pay the bills. 
You're afraid of the rulers and authorities, dominions and powers, and friends, they are real. Scripture doesn't deny them. God doesn't deny them. But God does defeat them. The letter to the Ephesians reminds us, the church, of the ultimate power of the resurrection. All those fears, all those forces that threaten, all those walls that separate us, God says, I have broken those down in the resurrection. The power of fear is no more. The power of death and alienation is no more. They are placed under Christ's feet. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, all the powers at work around us are subordinate. They don't have the last word. Resurrection does. And more than anything, this is what the author wants the Ephesian church to know better. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that seated him above every power and ruler and authority and name, well, that energizes us, the church. The power at work in the table, the power at work in the church, the power at work in you is resurrection. All that follows for the Ephesians, for us, for you, is possible through the resurrection power of Jesus. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore. We have everything we need. And all God's people, the church said, amen. Hey seniors, congratulations on all you have achieved. I have known so many of you since you were like three